Hello, and welcome to the Guardian Test Prep Back to Basic Podcast. My name is Dr. Christopher Seitz. I'm an emergency physician, and I'm here with my brother, Jason Seitz, who is a firefighter, paramedic, and RN. Together, we run Guardian Test Prep, an NREMT test prep company that specializes in helping EMT and paramedic students pass their national registry exam. Our Back to Basic podcast was created to make what are sometimes complex medical topics easy to understand and retain for students of emergency care. Please like and follow us on your favorite podcast streaming service, as well as on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you for joining us. So what is your favorite obscure movie that nobody else likes? You know what I mean? You're asking this because you know what it is. The Last Nights. (laughs) (laughs) It features Clive Owen and Morgan Freeman, and he's like a crusader. Clive Owen is. Clive Owen is like an action star for movies that are bad, like secret movies that some people like. Be careful, but that are man. Bad. This might get back to him. I don't think. He's and then he won't sponsor us anymore. <laughs> back to basics. Sponsored no, by Clive I, Owen. I showed that movie at the department, and you sold me on it. Acting like it was the coolest it's movie an amazing ever. Movie. And there's like one fight scene in it. No, it's awesome. You gave away the major plot line, which was the whole limping thing. Yep. Go watch the last nights, and you'll see what I'm talking about. Yeah. No, it's awesome. It's not that great. What's yours then? Pacific Rim. But that's a horrible movie. No, There's so two of them. There's a sequel, too. The, the sequel's sequel? awful, but the the original. I've watched that movie. <laughs> I have a buddy named Tim. We've watched that movie together probably 50 times in the past 50 like, times? 10 years. Yeah. No, maybe not 50. 25-ish. That's too much. But one is too I, many. I would say at least once every quarter, <laughs> we, a quarter, we meet up and watch it. Wow. It's a good movie. It's That's robots it. fighting monsters. It's just classic. That's not joy. a classic anything. Robots it's fighting so much monsters. better than like Godzilla and King Kong, though. I mean, I'm, I'm, I might agree with that. We should probably get to it. The biggest plot point issue in that movie is why does he not bust out the sword sooner? I don't know if you've seen it recently, but at the very no, end, seen he recently. busts out the sword and he like kills his monster. And there's like 18 different situations where he like beats somebody with a boat instead of like <laughs> using a sword. I don't know why he didn't get the sword sooner. All right. But anyway, good, good answer. Yeah, cool. The Last Nights. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Watch The Last Nights coming to Blu-ray and DVD. <laughs> All right. Well, welcome to Back to Basics. Uh, we are excited today. We um, are showcasing today one of our uh, sponsors. So 410 Medical, 410 Medical, uh, is sponsoring this podcast today. They are the inventors of the LifeFlow Rapid Infuser. We'll talk a little bit about that today. Our goal today is not to sell you their product. Uh, we want to talk about fluid resuscitation. So today's topic is fluid resuscitation. This is a topic that I think has... A lot of confusion around it, in my opinion. Like, there's so much data out there, and a lot of it can be conflicting or nuanced. Um, so we're going to talk about that today. So we're going to talk about that, and then we'll talk about a little bit about this life flow rapid infuser and how um, we're never going to try to sell you something that's uh, that we don't believe in or that we don't see the benefit in. I do see a lot of benefit with this device, uh, both for EMS and on the hospital side. So I think it's we'll more talk- just about letting people know that something like this is out there. It's kind of a cool thing. Yeah, it solves a problem that I think. Yeah, I mean, when when we started talking with LifeFlow and 410 Medical about the device when we first were introduced to it, I mean, it's definitely even they like said even in the ER setting. I mean, there we'll talk about, it, but there's definitely like I definitely see a, an important use for it uh, that can help in a lot of ways. But we can't really talk about how it can benefit until we talk about the basics of fluid resuscitation. So that's what we're going to do today. Starting by talking about shock. Now we're not going to get into shock completely. We'll, well, yeah, we have gonna- a shock episode. If you're ever interested in listening to a shock. Do we have a shock episode? Is that what it's called? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's stability? I don't know. We've got a couple of episodes. First episodes is we cover different types of shocks and how stability versus instability and how that's defined. Yeah. It's a pretty good episode, so go listen to it if you want to. Right now, though, we have to talk about fluid resuscitation. So 
I want to start with talking about where where's the need for fluid resuscitation? Why would we need to give fluid right. or give blood products in the first place? And it's always going to be there's a shock issue. Right. right? We're emergency personnel, right? So what is the life-threatening thing that we are going to administer fluids to reverse or prevent is shock, right? And there's four different types of shock. You want to quickly go over the yes. four different types of shock. So, well, for the, the easiest way to understand shock in general is to talk about hypovolemia, sure. right? So hypovolemic shock is a type of shock, and it's kind of the main one we use as an example. So what we have a, a pressurized system in our body, right? Our circulatory system is pressurized. There's a pump, the heart, and then we have vessels, you know, the tubes that the, the fluid's traveling through. And our blood pressure or the pressure that we have in this tube system is what allows flow to happen. And the better the flow, the better perfusion or oxygenation of our tissues, our organs, mm -hmm. our cells, right? And that's the basis of life, right? We can't survive without oxygen to our tissues. Um, if our tissues start to lack oxygen, they get necrotic, they die. If tissues die, organs die. If organs die, systems die. If systems die, we die, right? Mm -hmm. So there's not really a way I can think of of dying besides of a lack of perfusion, Right. In one way yeah. or another, lack well, of perfusion to major. And whether you're talking about trauma or a heart attack or a stroke, I mean, all of these in the end ends up becoming some type of perfusion issue perfusion that leads issue. to death. Right. Yeah. So hypovolemic shock, hypo meaning less, not enough. Right. Volemic meaning volume. It's, it's just simply you don't have enough volume in there. Right. So in our pump system, in our circulatory system, we don't have enough, in this case, fluid blood. Right. We don't have enough blood to go around. It doesn't matter how, you know, hard we're pumping. It doesn't matter how how fast we're pumping to try to build that pressure up. There's not enough fluid in the system to, to perfuse those tissues. Mm -hmm. So in those cases, those are very obvious cases where we would use fluid resuscitation as an answer, right? They lack fluid, so we're going to put fluid in there. Even if we can't give blood, they're, they're lacking blood, we can give fluid to charge that system and move the blood that we have and kind of help that out. Um, so that's, that's hypovolemia. That's the easiest shock to understand. Every other shock I like to kind of refer to as almost relative hypovolemia, right? It's not a volume problem that's causing that lack of perfusion or the lack of pressure in the system, but it's something else, mm -hmm. right? So if we have a pump problem, we would call that cardiogenic shock, right? right. So if you have an issue with a dysrhythmia, um, your heart's not pumping at the right pace, it's not going fast enough. Or heart failure or something like that where your heart just can't squeeze. You've had right. a heart attack in the past, so you have decreased wall motion of your heart wall. You can't squeeze the blood well enough. You can't, again, that pump isn't working. Now you can't build up that pressure. Yeah, we talk about preload and afterload issues and things like that. When we start getting into those nuances, we're talking usually about cardiogenic shock, the inability for the, the pump to be able to, pump effectively and therefore the fluid pressure drops and we can't perfuse the organs right so in that case is fluid going to solve the problem well we, we we're not correcting the pump by giving fluid but what we're going to find very quickly is that in all shock cases the acute answer in an emergency setting is to give them some fluid in order to perfuse what they've got right yeah. the pump isn't effective but if we can give a little bit more fluid maybe we can get fluid to those organs we can perfuse that okay and we can be all right the other two types of shocks are distributive and obstructive. Um, these get mixed up a lot. Distributive is basically the fluid is there, but it's in the wrong space. It's too spread out. Right. It's too spread out. Right. It's in the wrong space. It's distributed poorly. Types of right? distributive shock are going to be septic shock, where you have massive dilation of all your vessels. So the fluid's just, there's not enough pressure because the vessels are too open. Uh, neurogenic shock, which again, again, the vessels are open, not because of an infection or inf inflammation, but because of a, neur a neurologic problem from the spine was causing yeah, it all to like dilate. Even, even trauma wise, right? If I hit Chris in the back of the head with a baseball bat and his 
brain now is telling his body not to constrict vessels in his lower right, body, right. right? Okay, we have a distributive issue. They're another, all pooling down yeah, there. Yeah, another so. type of distributive shock would be like, you know, when you see an anaphylaxis, right? Where all of a sudden, again, because of a allergic-like reaction, all of your vessels are dilating, the fluid's there, but it's spread out too far. We don't have enough pressure in the system. And then the last type of shock, well, yeah, then the last type of shock is obstructive shock. So, so obstruct obstructive gets yeah. mixed up with distributive a lot, but obstructive is like distributive in the sense that um, the fluid isn't in the right place, but because it can't get to the right place. Right. So while while distributive a lot of times has to do with the dilation of vessels, obstructive shock will be the blocking of those vessels, mm. right? So like a PE would be like a type of obstructive um, Yeah, if you have a large pathology. enough pulmonary embolism blocking one of your main pulmonary vessels that are coming out of your heart, you can't pump the blood out of your heart effectively, and you start to see decreased perfusion. Same with like... Um, cardiac tamponade if you've got something that's causing pressure on the heart itself where the heart just can't squeeze well the heart it's not cardiogenic shock because the, the heart fine. can squeeze yeah. fine it's just unable to because it's obstructed by fluid or inflammation around the heart itself and things like that so kind of back to your point though so in an ideal world hypovolemic shock you'd give volume to cardiogenic shock you'd fix the pump distributive shock you'd clamp down the vessels and obstructive shock you'd block you'd get rid of the obstruction but the reality is it, you know, do we have ways of doing those things? Sure, right? Like, you know, we'll talk about fluid resuscitation for volume issues. That makes sense. When it comes to cardiogenic shock, can we give certain medications to optimize the squeezing of the heart, increase its Certainly, rate, decrease yeah. its rate? Sure, we can do that. Distributive, can we give medicines that constrict the blood vessels down and that sort of thing? Yes, we can. Obstructive, do we have the ways of going in and removing obstructions? We do. But in the EMS setting, and even in the emergency department setting, these are these are procedures in, you know, outcomes that come down the line. In the acute setting, which is what we're talking about in EMS and emergency medicine, really all we have for all of these is fluids. Right. I mean, we have pressors. I mean, we, yeah. we have things that we can do. And I think that's one, one point we should probably highlight before we get into this. Because we're talking about fluid resuscitation, I don't want you guys to think through the process of this, you know, podcast, lecture, whatever you want to call it. We're telling you that fluid is always the answer to every type of shock whenever you see it that's not true like if you can revert if someone is in cardiogenic shock because they have a dysarrhythmia that you can fix with something like amiodarone or atropine or you know whatever right then you're going to do that you're not just going to give them fluid and be like this will fix it you right, know what i mean right but we're, we're talking a little bit more when things get systemic, when the problem gets so big, where now we, we have to perfuse quickly, that's where we kind of jump into that. But mm -hmm. there are ways to solve these other problems, and fluid isn't always the answer all the time. It's just something, especially in traumas and hypovolemic shocks and in certain cardiogenic shocks that we can't uh, play around with, septic shock, you know, that's stuff that we need, to, we need to get fluid in there. Yeah, and I would say, too, like there's always... There's never a time where you're probably not going to start an IV and start some type of fluid resuscitation, right? Because, and, and the only reason I say that is because even with like amiodarone and these different things, like these things sometimes take time to draw up or they don't work as often. Like, like so you, you're always going to have that, you know, I'll say, you know, quote unquote, easy to use fluid resuscitation side of things, like at least in the works or ready to be put into the works if the other things aren't working. But, you know, again, I think, and we're, we're kind of doing it here a little bit too, you have to be really careful because there's a lot of literature that has come out and a lot of recommendations of, of like, hey, you don't want to over-resuscitate patients, meaning you don't want to give them too much fluid. 
I think the pendulum has swung a little too far the other way. And correct me if you if if you disagree, but like I think that what we've done a little bit is that we've kind of dis, we, you know we've seen research that says oh if we give too much fluids people don't has have, have as good of outcomes in certain situations. But because of that, we've now started to under resuscitate. We've we've started to not give fluids at all or give too little fluids. Whereas the reality is is that like most of the time fluids are going to help and help survival in the in the short we just have to be cognizant of how we're using them and why we're using them right paramedics especially like emergency providers emts paramedics like we want black and white <laughs> you know what i mean we want black and white so if you tell us you start telling us oh there's a fear of over resuscitation or there's a concern with over resuscitation that turns into a fear of over resuscitation and you know what that turns into well, it's just not pushing any food. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's right, just unacceptable. Right. There are things that we can do for our patients. We just got to be careful, just like we're careful with anything else. What's unique about fluid, and I think what makes a provider like me get nervous without the extra knowledge and without kind of doing the research and doing the training, is that almost everything else in the back of a rig, we can turn off and on, right? I can give nitro and open up the vessels and that can bottom out your blood pressure and I can go uh oh well I've got pressors I can give that can then constrict those vessels I can give something like I mean this is probably a bad example but epi or norepi yeah, something yeah. like that right we we have or constrictors fluids, we can give so right yeah, right. yeah I, I can make up for that I can fix that I can give um a, a medication that speeds your heart up and if it's going too fast now, well, that's, that's okay. I can give you something that slows it down. I can give a medication that takes your pain away but has a risk of snowing respiratory drive. And you know what happens? When markers of perfusion start to drop and you start to breathe less, your respiratory drive starts to drop, I can give Narcan. I can reverse that. So everything's faucet on, faucet off, faucet on, faucet off. We can kind of adjust that. Fluid, once it's in, it's in. Yeah. You can't take – we don't have any way of taking fluid out. Right, we don't have diuretics that we can give that can have someone pee off that fluid or anything like right, that right. In, in an acute emergency did, setting. It, right? In the acute setting, it's not going to happen right. fast enough to be able to. So yeah. it's because it's a little bit more nuanced, and we can get behind the eight ball on it, and then all of a sudden go, oh, oh, I don't have any way of reversing it. I think that's the internal struggle that a medic or a pre-hospital provider is struggling with when it comes to fluid resuscitation, which is why we do this podcast, you know, to kind of break it down and kind of show you, hey, it's not as bad as, as you think. It's pretty simple. There, there are ways that we can, we're not talking about high volumes. Yeah. We're talking and about I, rapid volumes. Yeah. And I think for a long time too, kind of going back to that whole black and white, I mean, I think we do this in healthcare, like we want, we want something that fits every situation, right? And I think that we sometimes take new research and instead of augmenting or adding to what we were doing, we change what we were doing, right? So if you want black and white, I would argue as an emergency physician that fluids is the black and white. Keep Just doing fluids. Just Keep doing it, yeah. fluids. Now, people would argue, be like, no, 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 the research says that that's bad. No, yeah, you're right. But not bad to the point where we should stop giving fluids, right. but that we should be now more cognizant of how much and when and how fast we are giving certain fluids. Well, and that's what we need to be doing as right. providers, but we see that as gray area. We don't want to do it. We just want to either do it or not do it right, and right. not have, have a way to reverse it or have a way yeah. that there's no way you can mess it yeah. up. And again, and that's, and that's, and even in emergency medicine, we do this as well. And that's not really the answer, right? So like we know, and I, I, I am confident in saying that we know that giving fluids in people who have perfusion issues, for the most part, is beneficial. There are cases where it becomes detrimental if we do it too much or too. That's where now we're talking about increasing our knowledge and changing, not deciding, oh, okay, so fluids are bad. No, 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 we never said fluids are bad. We just said that there are certain, certain situations. So let's talk a little bit about 
that, I think. I mean, kind of the situation. Because I think when we talk about perfusion, what are we, it, it comes down to what are we trying to perfuse? And that's where I think the, the question about like how much and when and how fast fluids, it depends on what we're trying to perfuse, right? So in hypovolemic shock, right, and where someone has like polytrauma and head injuries and all this kind of stuff, fluids are important because you have to perfuse the brain, right? Like, you know, we can perfuse, we, we have to be able to perfuse the brain and the heart really are like the main things we're trying to give blood to. In any kind, of, even in CPR, I mean, like first the heart itself and then the brain, like those are the things. So where we're seeing the literature come out and say, oh, maybe fluids aren't very good is in trauma, but it's not in like polytrauma or it's it's in like certain types of trauma, right? right like abdominal trauma. Like I have abdominal trauma, I'm bleeding out from an organ. Right, right exactly. So this is an example. Right? You, I stab you in the stomach, EMS shows up. You don't have any other injuries except this knife sticking out of your stomach and you're hypovolemic. Well, we know it's probably because you're bleeding internally in your abdomen, right? Now, as of right now, that's not quite yet, right? Because it's a continuum, not quite yet a threat to your brain and heart perfusion, even if you're a little bit hypotensive, right? So if I give you too much fluid, I'm going to thin that blood out and you're going to bleed more into your abdominal cavity and faster and faster. And now you're going to maybe decompensate quicker. So then we start to see the research say, well, let's maybe allow for some hypotension. Let's maybe allow the systolic blood pressure to be in the seventies because they're still talking to me. They're still maintaining well, but I'll tell you right now, if you start to like lose consciousness on me, I need to start giving you more fluids or something or blood, preferably blood, which we can talk about, but like I need to give you something because I need to perfuse your brain. So it's always like, again, it's just not black and white. It's it's, it's so it's like trying to get enough perfusion to like, let's say my, my my liver, I'm bleeding out of my liver or something like that. Like I need enough perfusion to like perfuse that liver and get that area good, but not too much where I'm propagating the bleed and we're bleeding out more. And then the whole system is done. You don't want to flood the blood out. You don't want to. So, and and that sounds like it's really complicated, but it can be a little bit more black and white. Just recognize that there's a difference between, you know, an, an, an acute issue with a, with a local area and a systemic issue. When you have systemic issues, when your whole, when you start having an altered mentation, we know that that's a major organ that's lacking perfusion. We know that's an unstable patient and unstable patients still need fluid. Right. It's just, they right. still just need fluid when that's the cause. And the thing right? too is you have to think about what are your goals, right? And again, I think I want to encourage people to think when you're thinking about perfusion and fluid resuscitation, think brain and heart. Because if you think brain and heart, then things start to make a little more sense. Because again, if you've got a you know a knife to your abdomen, what's my goal as an EMS or even emergency medicine provider? My goal is not to stop that bleeding. The surgeon has to go in and stop that bleeding. My job is to keep their brain and heart perfused enough to be able to get them to that OR so that they have good outcomes. If I give them too much fluid too quickly, I'm going to drop their blood pressure even faster because they're going to bleed out even faster. I'm not going to be able to get them to the OR. If I don't give them enough fluid, they're going to bleed out. So so again, I'm going to give fluid. I'm just going to be now more careful. So again, it's not this like don't give fluid in trauma. It's let's be a little more cognizant and think a little bit more about how we're going to give fluids in trauma, right? Now, again, if you look at the le- if you look at the literature and like even like ATLS, Advanced Trauma Life Support Guidelines, if it's polytrauma, if I like, it's one thing to know that you've got a knife in your abdomen, you know injuries. If I show up on, on I seventy five and you've got, you know, you're through the windshield and unconscious, I don't know. You could be bleeding in eight different areas. Right. Now I'm gonna have to give you fluids 
that's you, to perfuse your brain and heart. To perfuse you your brain and heart, right? Check exactly. It all out. Exactly. Yeah. So, but the thing is, is we're not talking about people start to panic because they're like, oh, you're talking about giving all kinds of food, all kinds of. We're not talking about giving all kinds of food. In fact, we'd like to give a little bit at a time and see how that goes. The problem is when I'm in the back of a rig with a bag and I'm titrating, you know, a drip rate, I, I always make this joke, but I, I'm sorry. I would challenge anyone to tell me that they're doing drip rates and they're sure how much food they've given this and that. There are three drip rates that we do in the back of an ambulance. I don't care what people say. It just This is just street knowledge. It's full open. It's TKO or it's it's all. Or, or, or it's off. somewhere in between. It's somewhere, right, right, sure, we're sure, titrating, sure, sure. right? We're titrating. So it's either it's off, basically TKO to, to keep open, stripping a little bit to keep it open. We're fully open because we're trying to bullish them. Or you've used or, a little thing enough to strip it a little bit yeah, faster. Or you're than somewhere in between and you're trying to do some math, right? Yeah, like yeah. like people do cheats all the time when it comes to like even giving, you know, you know, amiodarone over 10 minutes. People will tell me, well, you can put in a 250 bag and then you can start giving it and then you do it at, at about this speed. And people go, well, Jason, like, how do you figure out? Like, I'm like, well, after five minutes of more than half the bags done, <laughs> slow then down. slow it down. Like, <laughs> right, like right. that's just kind of what yeah, we end yeah. up doing. No. And it's not, the problem with that is that let's say I want to give somebody 250 milliliters of fluid and see how they do. Well, 250 milliliters of fluid takes time in the back of a rig to give, depending on your, your line and how, and you don't, you don't have time to see it go in and then look at the response and see if they need more or less. By the time that's in, it's, t- it's taken a significant amount of time and you can't really gauge. It's not like giving you a medication that's fast acting right. and knowing and being able to see the results. What a rapid infuser does like life flow is it allows you to give 250 right then and there. Right. It's basically like bolusing all your, all, all your fluids, yeah. right? Yeah. Like you just, it's a rapid infuser. It's not for high volumes. Mm-hmm. It's not for, it, it certainly can do that, but it's not for giving you two liters in right. 10 seconds because you're you're having trauma it's for giving you 200 milliliters right now right, right now and then me watching what happens yeah and it, it's allowing me the bandwidth to, to look at somebody and go okay what are the reactions to this amount of fluid okay he, he's i'm seeing positive outcomes i'll give another 250 right now yeah okay that seems like it's not having as much positive effects i can slow down now right yeah. so yeah. rapid infusion is really ideal for emergency care because it's it's not giving high volumes. It's giving the right amount of volume right then and there yeah. and be able to watch and, and respond. And let's talk a little bit. I'm just going to take a second to talk about the life flow device because we're talking about life flow as an example of a rapid infuser. So what's nice about this and why, again, like we're excited to partner with 410 Medical to present this stuff to you. It's a handheld device. So this is literally like a, like it's almost like a... Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the calipers for when you're doing like body fat, but it's almost like that kind of like hand gun type of thing that you hand squeeze and rapidly put in the fluid. So it's, it reminds me of a caulk gun. Yeah, kind of like, yeah, it looks like kind of a little bit like a caulk gun. Like that. that same kind of mechanism, right, where you're squeezing. It's a handheld device. So that's why it's great for EMS and for, for an ER because if I want to rapidly infuse like that in the emergency department, I've got to get this big machine, put the bags in, clamp the thing down, put it on a certain... One, the nurses have to figure out where that machine is. If it's not already in the um, trauma bay, we've got to kind of get it set up a little bit. This is a very easy setup, easy device, handheld, pushing a bunch of fluids. But again, to your point, it's not to push. You could. You could put. Right. I mean, I think. Well, and what's cool is like one of the studies, like it's like 500% increase in like how effective they are with their fluids. So like while other rigs that were doing, you know, just hanging bags, they could only get 300 milliliters in. 
the people using the rapid infusers were getting like 1.5 liters in. Right. But that what that makes people think then is, oh, okay, so it's for giving a lot of volume. No. It's not for giving a right. lot of volume. It doesn't have to it's be for doing it fast. It's for doing, it's giving fast volume. Right, right. And then be able to watch the response. And again, so back to our example of the abdominal, pa- abdominal trauma patient, right? So I know that I want to keep their brain and heart perfused, right? So their blood pressure is in the 60s. I'm going to give them maybe 250 really fit, fast. And I'm going to see if it works. Does it do anything, right? Does it increase their blood pressure a little bit? If it does, then great. Then maybe I can hold there for a second. If they're still mentating well, if their heart rate still, you know, you know, we can maybe let, let them be a little hypotensive in that type of trauma situation. We start seeing the blood pressure drop again. We give another 250 quick. So now by the time we get to the emergency department, we've given maybe 500. Right, but we've been watching to see, and we're, we know that they're responsive to the fluid resuscitation. What we haven't done is only give 300, which was not enough, and we haven't given a 1.5 liters, which probably would have been too much. Well, or we haven't hooked up a thousand liter. We haven't hooked up a thousand milliliter bag, right? Mm-hmm. A liter bag, and opened it up full open and then by the time we get to the hospital only given 300 and then when you ask me at the hospital how are they responding to the fluid i say i don't really know it took me right 15 right. minutes or it took me 10 minutes to give them this 300 what do you what do they look like right now that's about 300 right. it's still going it's exactly. it's i can say when i gave the first 250 this is what things yeah. looked like yeah. when i gave the second 250 it's turning and you know it was the fluid because you gave it rapidly it's and turning that's the fluid key. fluid into what it truly is it's a medication and right. we can give it as a medication kind of now yep. you know what i mean exactly. and i can see how they respond exactly so and a lot of the reasons that the the you know we've, we've developed this kind of fear, I think, sometimes of fluid resuscitation is that initially all of the research, not say all, most of the research that we did in the fluid resuscitation space had to do with sepsis, right? It had to do with sepsis and it had to do with like hypovolemic type of stuff, right? Um, even if you look at the literature on like where IV fluids first started, it started back like during like the cholera epidemics that were happening over in like, you I mean like, so like it was for people who were very hypovolemic, whether it's from a, you know, or, or very distributed, like from a septic shock type of standpoint. In those situations, you want to give one liter, two liter, three. The problem is we started giving like three, four, five, six liters. Maybe we found out that that was a little too much in the long run. But then we started also adapting that to trauma. And when we adapted that to trauma, we started to see worse outcomes because of too much fluid. But that's at like, again, two, three, four, five liters. That doesn't mean that no fluids. We still have to keep that brain and heart perfused in trauma, right? So that has to be kind of like, you know, the end goal. Then people will ask, though, like, well, what kind of fluids, right? Well, what kind of fluids should I get? And the answer is whatever fluids you have. Like, I, I don't mean to like, like, make, like dumb it down no, too much. No. Like, yes, absolutely. And we blood, can talk about blood it. Blood would be great. Blood if would you be have great. blood, that's great. The problem is, is most of you don't have blood. Why do most of you not have blood? Because of expense issues. Blood's yeah. expensive because of usage issues. You're, you're, um, municipality or whoever you're working for can't really justify with the cost like hey we're, we're holding this blood it's expiring constantly because we don't use it as much right, right. we don't see that much trauma or we and don't that see- ends up using from a system issue i mean i'm talking about like a national system issue we've got a shortage of blood to begin with like i mean like we were very much especially even during covid and stuff like we were very short blood donors in general we don't have a lot of it so it's even more so hard to justify replacing, you know, liters and liters of blood that just expires and we throw it away when we, you know, it's also expensive at the same time. Well, right? you also have to store it. So it has to be cold storage for blood, right? Mm-hmm. So like I don't have a I don't have a freezer or a you know, a fridge in the back of my ambulance. If I right. did, it'd be stocked full of Dr. Pepper. 
<laughs> so you wouldn't have room for the but, blood anyway. So, so anyway, we're still really going for that Dr. Pepper sponsorship. Really, right, someday, still, Diet Dr. Know. Pepper. Yep. I will get a tattoo if I have to. <laughs> right. Um, no, but anyway, I, I think that I, I've looked at some, especially after talking with Lifeflow a little bit too, like they showed me some of the studies that are happening in different areas, like the way that some of these agencies are doing whole blood and they're, they're bringing it in is really cool. Like, I hope that one day we can get whole blood out there on the street for everybody yeah, because the, they've got ways where there's windows where you have, you know, you have it stored one place and they can get it to you quickly. And it like distribution centers, right? What's it. tough is like, so my background is in a municipality. It's a, it's a small city department, busy, but small city about seven and a half square mile radius. And we have a hospital in that city. Right. So like for me, like transport times for me have always been, a maximum of 20 minutes. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I don't have to deal. But here's what's cool about a rapid infuser is that like it wouldn't in your mind, you think logistically it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to hang blood if you have a, a 10 minute transport. Mm-hmm. Well, it does if you have a way to get that blood in them that fast. Exactly. Yeah. I didn't have something like that. I can't mm-hmm. set up blood and drip it. It's going to take too much time to get that blood into them by the time I get to the hospital. But with a rapid infuser, I can put that blood in the patient and be like, Whoa. hey, I got them. And you, when you start thinking about burn, like burn, like burns where we need like a high amount of fluid all the time, right? At least acutely. Like, the ability to start two large bore IVs and then just the bloods that we got two liters in. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? We're not doing blood for burns, but yeah, you're no, no, talking no. about fluids. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, we, we got we got two liters of fluid, yeah. right? So I don't know. I, I see there being a lot of objective research-based reason mm-hmm. to get devices like this out there and to start considering a little bit more with devices Hey, this is changing the game a little bit. Well, now with what maybe we can do with whole blood. I was saying now maybe it makes sense to carry whole blood because I have a way of getting it in in an appropriate time. And like I said, so you know the 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 answer to try is try, you know we know the research shows that like in a trauma patient, blood is going to be better than fluids, right? For the most part. I mean, like you know that's that's a general consensus. The problem is that like many of us don't carry blood, even in the emergency department. I mean, I I have I think we've shared before. Like I work. In like 15 different, I mean, I have 15 different state licenses. I travel throughout the country, work in a lot of different community hospitals. It's not, you know, unless you're working at a level one trauma center, the blood's not like in the ER. It's not readily available. You. Yeah, I mean, I still have to go call lab, who then grabs it. They still have to, you know, make they have to do some checks to make sure it's going to be, even if it's 10, 15 minutes. What am I doing during that 10, 15 minutes? I'm giving fluids, right? right? And as an emergency physician, if I can give them in small boluses rapidly with like a handheld device, like a life flow, that's going to be better than me, my nurses hanging a bunch of drips. And then me being like, I don't really know how much fluid they've gotten so far. I don't really know. And then I, and then I'm going to give them blood, which is more fluid, but how much have I already given them fluid? Well, you know, now I start to get into these, you know, I got to be a little bit careful with the over resuscitation side of things. So again, it's all about, can you get it in rapidly and can you do small enough boluses or larger bolses. Like if you give someone, you know, 500 and their blood pressure starts to come up a little bit, but you need it to go higher because you don't think they're perfusing their brain, well, well, then give them another liter, but give it fast, right? Like see if we can get it fast so that we can, you know, see the outcome. And that's where, again, I think the, the important piece comes into, and we always talk about it, is that reassessment, right? What's nice about rapidly getting the fluid in is that I know that, that that's what's causing whatever outcome happens next. So now when I reassess blood pressure and heart rate and these different things... It's like, oh, is the bleeding stopping? Or like, is he is he past it because I gave these pressors? Or right, is it because right, I right. gave this fluid? You know what I mean? And you know, something I bump into a lot of times, and I meant to mention this when we were talking about cardiogenic shock, but like 
So like bradycardia and hypotension after a cardiac arrest, right? So we had a cardiac arrest, we get ROSC, and people look at the blood pressure and they're like, oh, we got to get some fluid in them. Mm-hmm. And that's a great way if they're hypotensive, we do have to get some fluid in them. And that, that's a great way that we can put fluid or blood or whatever, you know, to, to, to bring their blood pressure back up. But like what I see all the time, and this goes back to the beginning of the episode when we were just talking about like, make sure that fluid's appropriate for the type of shock you're dealing with. If you can solve the underlying problem, you can solve the underlying problem. You right. don't need to necessarily right. go for fluid. Right. But like I bump into all the time, my medics will be like, let's get some fluid going and they'll start out, they'll start a bolus. And the and heart I look, rate's like 25. The heart rate's like 25. Yeah. And it's like, well, no, that's a that's a cardiogenic issue yeah, you know, yeah. we can speed we that up speed that there. up first and see see how their blood pressure yeah, goes yeah, you know yeah. so it's keeping all that in mind and i feel like with the ability where fluid's not as complicated and i can give it quickly i can give it in the amount i want right kind of right off the bat i feel like it simplifies things enough in the back there for me to start thinking about those other things and, yeah. and to take those other factors in so we want our tools to make things easier for us not to mm-hmm. add layers of complication and i think that with fluid resuscitation people panic that it's going to add layers of complication and it just doesn't it really will simplify things for you if you have these tools at your disposal yeah absolutely the other thing we have to talk about a little bit too is the kind of those markers of perfusion right so what are we how are we gauging whether a patient needs fluid resuscitation or not now in the acute EMS setting, blood we have pressure. a couple of things. We've got blood pressure. Right. Blood pressure We've is going to be the answer rate. for any any medic emergency provider is going to yep. tell you, hey, blood pressure, blood pressure, blood pressure is my determination for lack of perfusion right. and therefore fluid resuscitation. Right. But there are other things yeah. that you got to consider. And, and for EMS too, I mean, we, we're going to add heart rate in there. We're going to add skin turgor. You know what I mean? Like how like how is their skin signs look? We're going to add their you know mental status, right? Are they alert and oriented? You know, If, if you're alert and oriented and your blood pressure is in the 70s, I'm probably not going to give you a ton of fluid. Right. Like, I mean, I'm, I, you know, like I, you can do a little of this passive hypotension because you don't want to over resuscitate someone. But I got to monitor that, too. If you start to get a little more somnolent or your blood pressure starts to drop even more, your heart rate starts to kick up even higher. Now I can now I might justify, OK, let me give you a 250 really quick. See if that helps some of these signs. But I got to keep reassessing these signs. In the emergency department, we're going to add other markers there, right? We're going to look at lactate, right? Obviously, lactate is the essentially like lactic acid bill. So when your when your cells are no longer getting that oxygen and they kind of have to create energy on their on their own, they're going to do it through a, an anaerobic mechanism, which is going to push off lactate. So I'm going to be able to measure that lactate. That lactate is going to be a, a marker of poor perfusion. Yeah, because think think of it this way, right? Aerobic, we're getting we're getting oxygen normally through the normal passive means, right? anaerobic is in the lack of that. So if we're showing a buildup of a byproduct of anaerobic, we know that our, our cells are starving for oxygen. Mm, if mm, our cells are right. starving for oxygen, we're, we're in a hypoperfusion. Yeah. State. Other things I'm going to look at is the blood pH, which kind of goes with the lactic side Acidity. too. Acid buildup is going to you know decrease the pH, these types of things, right? So I'm going to be able to now too rapidly administer fluids, hopefully, or blood products, and then recheck some of these markers and see that are they trending down? Are they still going up? And that's going to dictate for me: Do I need to give more? Do I can I can I pull back now a little bit? So, again, the answer is not not fluids, right? The answer is not we're not going to give fluids anymore, and it's also not give all the fluids, <laughs> right? Yeah, so. the answer is we're going to give fluids. And we're going to be cognizant of why we're giving the fluids, what we're trying to perfuse, how we measure that perfusion, and whether or not they're responding to that fluid administration, whether it be blood or blood or you know crystalloid, saline, sorry, crystalloid yeah. fluids, right? You know, like normal saline, that sort of thing. And then again, all with the intention of keeping them stabilized enough to get to that next thing, whether it's trauma, whether it's sepsis. At some point, you know, with this type of kind of systematic approach to that. 
it doesn't really matter, right? We're gonna, we need to know because it's gonna, you know, but like, again, like we're the, the pathway of treatment from a fluid resuscitation standpoint can be a little more systemic that way. Uh, for and I think adding this tool in just gives us a piece of the puzzle that we didn't really have before. Instead of like starting a bag with a drip rate as fast as we can, you know, and then needing to shut it off and then titrating it, mm -hmm. like it just mm -hmm. kind of takes that out of it, which makes it simple to observe for these other markers and observe these signs. Yeah. I think like an example with these markers of perfusion would be like um, if you do have an organ, right? We want to keep the blood pressure a little bit lower because we're just dealing with one one specific organ we're trying to play around with. We're not dealing with systemic issues necessarily. Like we can look at our markers of perfusion of our systemic perfusion. If we don't see a, a huge amount of lactate or something like that, then we know that we don't need to, to panic and give a bunch of fluid right now, right? right we don't need right. to, like, they're not anaerobic right now. Right. They're perfusing well. It's just a localized issue. Yeah. So we can kind of And we've talked about this before. There's two other kind of points I want to make. We've talked about this before where, you know, your job as an EMS provider is to be able to get them to me and be able to communicate to me what has been done so I can build off of that, right? So if you know exactly how much fluid you've given and how they responded, right, based on certain signs and symptoms, I now can make better decisions on how much I'm going to give and in what, you know, dosages and things like that, right? So like that's a really important piece because, again, to your point before, if you just hang a bag and, th and I ask you like, well, how much fluid have they got? And you're like, well... I don't know. I'm looking at that bag. It looks like maybe half. You know what I mean? Like the over more this, accurate we over can this be. grand amount of time, you know, over these past 20 minutes, I've given them half versus, hey, I was able to give them half and, you know, a quarter of the time. Right, right. And, exactly. and it did these things because I watched it. Yeah. And did they respond? And then the second point is we've commented on this on multiple podcasts as well. Our job in emergency medicine is to help the body do what it already knows how to do right? And that's where fluids come in. It's not that we're giving something completely foreign to the body and trying to fix something. We are trying to support the body in its own functions of stability and that sort of thing and compensation so that we can get to more definitive treatment down the line. And whether that be, you know, antibiotics for sepsis, whether that be intubation for airway issues, whether that be surgery for trauma, again, these are not things we're going to probably do in the back of the ambulance or in the emergency department. So our job becomes helping the body. And if you know, again, from a perfusion standpoint, like, am I trying to perfuse the brain or the heart? Where is, where is the injury or locus of infection or, you know, cardiac issue happening? Now I can start making more educated and more uh, successful decisions in how I ref fluid resuscitate my patients. And that's where I think you take the new research, combine it with the old research, and find that middle ground of let's take the new research and augment what we're doing a little bit to optimize what we're doing, not change what we were doing. Because it was the answer was never stop giving fluids, they're harmful. No, fluids are very helpful if done the right way. Now we have more data on how to do it the right way, so let's try to do it a little bit better, right? That's that's the ultimate goal. So yeah, yeah. And again, so that's um, I mean that's I think that's kind of that's kind of everything we wanted to talk about in terms of that kind of fluid resuscitation side of things. Again, bringing it back to basics and showing you that again we can use this new research to augment and to optimize. And that's where again going back to the life flow device and again we want to thank 410 Medical. Uh, if you want to take a look at the life flow device uh, www.410medical.com 410medical.com uh, the life flow device is that handheld rapid infuser. 
what an awesome tool to be able to now do that and optimize this type of resuscitation. I think that you and I have been able to kind of look at it and see it and play, play, play with it a little bit and say, yeah, this is, uh, this could change things for me a little bit. Now, like to your point, maybe this does now make sense for my rig to carry blood because I have a way of getting in. For me in the emergency department, maybe it makes sense now for me to even use this device in the emergency department to be able to really define how much fluid I'm giving in trauma and how fast and to be able to, you know, see what those outcomes look like. So again, we want to thank them so much for uh, sponsoring this episode and sharing uh, sharing their research and, and their stuff with us. Um, but yeah, anyway, that's uh, that's it for me. What do you think? Yeah, I think I'm good. Cool. Awesome. Well, we appreciate you guys so much. Again, you can get continuing education credits for this episode. So if you go to guardiancme.com, uh, you can listen and watch this episode. This is also video recorded. You can look at mine and Jason's pretty faces talking to the microphones. Uh, but again, if you watch it, you'll get, you know, like I said, you'll get some CME credit. It is CAPSI approved. Uh, so nationwide, you can get that credit. Um, again, we appreciate you guys listening. If you have any questions, feel free to email us at info at guardiancme.com or info at guardiantestprep.com. If you're prepping for that national registry exam, we've got your back there as well. Uh, www.guardiantestprep.com. We can help you get through that NREMT exam. Thank you guys again. Again, we want to thank 410 Medical and you guys have a great rest of your week. Stay sweet. Hey guys, thanks so much for taking a listen. Uh, if you are studying for the National Registry exam, we're here to help. We have a National Registry prep program uh, to help you pass that exam. Check us out at guardiantestprep.com. If you'd like continuing education credits uh, for listening to our podcast or watching this on YouTube, follow us at guardiancme.com. 100% free CAPSI credits. Uh, no matter what state or country you're in, uh, we're here to help. So again, we thank you so much for listening. We hope you have a wonderful week.